Good morning. I bless you this morning. It's good to see you on this middle of July, middle of the summer Sunday. And I'm so glad that you are here, have made uh, the choice to come and worship together with us. Well, this morning we're starting a brand new series. It's going to be a three-week series, and it's a series about temptation. I'm calling this series Filters. Many of you are familiar with the idea of using filters when you take pictures with your smartphones. The young people are much better at this than us old folks. Uh, Young kids are really good at at taking pictures and adding filters and and changing, using these effects to to changing the, the look of that picture. You can use uh, a filter to add a special effect that that uh, makes any object or any person appear very different. With a filter, you can make something that is average looking, or someone that is average looking, appear stunningly beautiful and maybe even irresistible. That's what filters do. Uh, In fact, somebody uh, said that ever since Photoshop came on the scene, which has been almost 30 years that Photoshop came on the scene, uh, this person said, ever since Photoshop came on the scene, we can't trust anything we see anymore. You can't believe what you see anymore. Because uh, Photoshop is really the, the standard for adding effects and filters and and things that, that make things appear totally different. In fact, I, I want to show you some pictures right now. These are pictures that have been edited with, with Photoshop. And so I, I want you to see how the filters, the edits that were made, uh, make them appear, some of them slightly different, others very different than the original. And uh, most of the time when we, when we show this type of uh, pictures you know, before and after, we see the before, then the after. But I'm going to show you the after first, then I'll show you the before. So I'm going to show you the, the, the picture that's been changed, that's been altered, there's been a filter added, and then I'll show you what it looked like before that. So let's go and show, I've, I've got five different ones. Let's show the first one. Let's turn the lights off to see if we can get a little better effect. So this is a beautiful picture of a little little boy, a little toddler, catching a leaf. Okay, that's the, the one with the filter. Let's show the one before. The original, there was no leaf, and it's still cute, but uh, you can tell the difference. They even changed his jacket. You see the difference in the size of the jacket, and they, changed, they added that filter. So that's, that's pretty nice. That's the effect of a filter. Let's go on to the next one now. This is the one that has been edited. Isn't that pretty? Oh, what a, what a cute little baby. It's amazing that at that young age, she can already hold up her head. But wait, let's look at the original. She had some help. She had some help holding up her head. But when you add that filter and you remove that hand, it just, it's just a beautiful effect. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Let's see. Oh, yeah, I like this one. This girl's underwater. She's, I don't know if she's looking for a way out. We see the water. She's just kind of floating there. That's the one with the filter. But what's the original? Hey, wait a minute, that's cheating. She's not even underwater. She's just on some furniture, but that's what filters do. Okay, let's go on to another one. Beautiful picture of a newlywed couple. This, they're getting ready to get on the train, maybe. I don't know, this old train. This, I like that old, you know, kind of antique filter. The original looks like this. Still pretty, but it's not the same thing. It even changed the color of his, of his suit from black to blue on the changed one, the edited one, so uh, that's a difference a filter makes. It's, I think we have one more. 
Beautiful young lady, look at her eyes, her skin is just perfect, the hair, everything's perfect about her. What does the original look like? Well, I mean, she's still pretty, but not quite the same. This is more than makeup, I'm sure. This is uh, the, the filters and the Photoshop effect that was added. So, I mean, that's the difference that, that uh, effects made, that make, that filters make. And uh, like I said, uh, with Photoshop, you can't trust anything you see anymore. Uh, this is true not only of pictures, but it's true of temptations, which is what we're talking about. You can't trust what you see when it comes to temptations. You can't even trust what you feel, the excitement, the rush that you might feel when you're tempted to do something. It's, it's true of temptation. You can't trust what you see. You can't trust what you feel anymore because filters... Remind us that temptation is never what it seems. Temptation always comes to us with filters. Temptation makes sin look good. It makes sin look very appealing. Irresistible. And it fools us. We've all been fooled by temptation. We thought it was one thing. We thought it was going to be just so exciting. It was going to be fulfilling. And then after we committed the act of sin that we were tempted to commit we find out that there's only pain and there's destruction. And it's time that we learn to deal with temptation correctly. And it's time that we learn to fight back against temptation and to defeat it. So as we go through this series, we're going to look at several passages beginning today with Genesis 3, which is the original temptation, the original sin. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Genesis 3. We're going to read the first seven verses. Genesis 3, 1 reads like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Or you will die. Now notice that she actually added something to what God had said. God didn't say you, you uh, must not touch it. But she added that. Or you will die. Verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye... And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is the original temptation, the original sin. And because of Adam and Eve's yielding to Satan's temptation, then the entire human race was plunged into sin. The word Adam simply means man. The word Eve simply means woman. So this story is every man's story. This story is every woman's story. This is our story. This is why we, we now face temptation. Since uh, this happened, every person struggles with temptation. Even Christians. You know, becoming a Christian... 
walking with God, even walking with God, with God for many years, doesn't eliminate or even minimize the dangers of temptation. Many of you who have been uh, followers of Christ for many years could, could testify today that the fierceness of the temptation is still there. It's still as strong as ever. There's still within all of us a strong desire to have something that is forbidden. A strong desire to have this forbidden fruit still lingers within us. Somebody very astutely said, most people want to be delivered from temptation, but they would like it to keep in touch. And that's what we face. That's a human condition. As Christians who want, who want to please God, then we, we've got to understand how temptation works so we can learn how to resist it. So our story today, our text today in Genesis 3 is a a classic case study of the process of temptation. My uh, big idea is this, that by understanding how temptation works, we can devise a strategy for victory over temptation. By understanding how it works, we can devise a strategy for victory over it. Now, in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote about the importance of forgiving uh, a man who had harmed him. There was a man who, who was unnamed, who had harmed Paul. And so the church was also upset. They took issue with the, the fact that this man harmed Paul. So they were angry with him. And so Paul wrote about how they needed to forgive this man who had harmed him. And he writes that their forgiveness of him is necessary, he says, so that Satan will not outsmart us. He, he writes in 2 Corinthians 2.11. He says, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. We are not unaware of his evil schemes. And so that's what we're trying to do. We want to be familiar with Satan's evil schemes. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And his pattern for tempting Eve is essentially the same approach that he uses on us today. So by studying and learning to recognize that pattern, we won't be ignorant. We won't be unaware. We'll be familiar with his evil schemes and we can resist them. So here's uh, the first thing we learn from this passage in Genesis 3 is that Satan is crafty and deceptive. Satan is crafty and deceptive. He's never straightforward. He never comes out and lets us know he's tempting us to commit sin so he can ruin our lives. So he can point us in the wrong direction. So he can position us to, to go down the wrong path and to end in a, in, a, in a bad way. Satan is crafty. He's shrewd. Satan understands human nature. He is not all-knowing. Satan is not omniscient the way that God is omniscient. But he knows enough about human nature that he uses it against us. He uses our nature against us. He knows where to attack. He knows when to attack. And he knows how to attack us when he tempts us. And because of his shrewdness, and he uses our feelings against us. James writes in James 1, 14 and 15, he writes this, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Another translation says, Temptation comes from our sinful lusts, from our own desires, which entices and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So Satan knows that we all deal 
now that sin is in the world, we deal with sinful thoughts. We deal with sinful desires. How many of you have ever had a thought and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? You might even be in a time of prayer talking to God and Satan will place something in our minds. You're like, wow, where did that thought come from? He's using our desires, our our human nature. The Bible calls it our flesh. He's using our flesh against us. The the, the idea that we want things for ourselves, the, the the, the concept of pride, that we're all, you know, we're all proud, we're all filled with pride, which is the original sin. We all struggle with that to one extent or the other. He knows that. So he, he places things in our, in our path that appeal to our pride. The lust of the flesh, John says, or the lust of the eyes, things that appeal to us because we're, we're moved by what we see, or the pride of life. Those are the three things within us that Satan knows exist within us. And he uses those things against us. He uses our flesh against us. But Satan's deceptive tactics also come in, in the form that he takes. He appeared to Eve as a serpent. Now the thought of a serpent or a snake, a large snake, might repulse us today. We don't like large snakes. We don't like... Uh, serpents. There are some weird people out there who might have a boa constrictor as a pet. I've heard of that. I saw a picture recently of someone, a lady, who was lying in her, it seemed like it was a re- recliner, and she had a snake lying on top of her, and uh, a boa, if I remember correctly. And somebody, somebody uh, said to us, you know what that snake was doing was just sizing her up. To see, you know, if he could take her, which I, I tend to believe. That just rings true for me because I, I don't like snakes. Uh, and so we, we, don't, we don't like snakes. I was uh, telling our prayer group this morning that I remember when, I, when we lived in Corpus many years ago. It's been over 30 years ago. I saw a story in the Corpus paper about something that happened here in San Angelo. Some of you may remember this if you were around here back then. And it was about, some, it was about a lady here in San Angelo who found a snake in her toilet. Apparently the snake had gotten in through the plumbing. I don't know if it climbed the house, came in uh, through the pipes, and it, it showed up in her toilet. It's not the only time it's happened. It was just amazing. It happened here, and it made national news. And so, so be careful. There's a, there's, a, there's a warning there. Be careful. Uh, because we don't like snakes, but what we have to understand is in the beginning, the, the, the serpent was a beautiful creation. You know, we, we see it now with a biased look, but in the beginning it was a beautiful creation. And so Eve would have no problem to recoil uh, uh, when she saw the snake. It, it was very appealing. It was beautiful. In fact, Revelation 20 verse 2 refers to Satan using four terms. And there are four, four words, four descriptions of Satan from Revelation 22. It describes Satan as a dragon. Describes Satan as an old serpent. In other words, the ancient serpent that we're reading about in the book of Genesis. The dragon, old serpent, the devil, and Satan. This is the the way that he's described. So on the one hand, he's a dragon. He's a devil, which means deceiver. We know that he deceives us. He's Satan, which means adversary. But on the other hand, he's referred to as the old serpent. Something, like I said, that was initially beautiful. And uh, today we might use serpent, if we use it to refer to a person, we might use it to refer to someone who is sly, who is deceiving. But initially, 
the, the serpent was very appealing. That's why he was able to approach Eve. He took the form of a serpent. And that makes sense because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that he has a capacity to do this. He has a capacity to disguise. Uh, Paul says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So he can take different forms. Now, I'm not saying to you that he takes a form of certain people. I want you to go around telling people you're Satan because I, I, I just think you are. That's not what we're saying. But he can take different forms. In other words, he can disguise himself. He disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, if he were to present himself before us today with all his ugliness, and if you were to say, I am Satan, I am God's enemy, and I'm here to seduce you because you are a creation of God. I'm here to seduce you. I'm here to ruin your life. Then you'd better be sure we would run the other direction. We would run from that situation and we would run right to God. But Satan never does that. Never. He presents himself. He always presents himself in the most appealing and irresistible manner. That's the way that he, that he tempts us. The next time you're tempted to commit a sin, you're being tempted because it looks very appealing to you. I'll never forget reading a story many years ago of a pastor who was called to, to talk to a man from his church who was leaving his wife and family behind. And he actually, uh, in fact, got to the point that he got on a plane and he was traveling across the country to go be with another woman. His wife and his children found out and uh, they got a hold of him. And they begged him, come home. His wife said, don't do this. Come back. His children said, Daddy, don't go. Come back to us. His wife says, look, I'll forgive you. We'll work on this. And he says, no, no. I, I've got to go. I've got to follow my heart. I've got to please myself. This woman loves me. We've got to be together. You know, she's, uh, you know, she's my, she's a partner I hadn't found. I, I thought I, I had found, but I hadn't found. And uh, he was determined to go. Because at the moment, that looked, that relationship, that woman, that relationship looked so appealing to him. While he was in the plane, somebody, I don't remember now if it was a pastor or one of the family members, got a hold of the woman, the other woman, and talked to her. And apparently if he hadn't been forthright with her, surprise, surprise. And she says, you know what, I don't want anything with him. He's got his family. I, you know, he lied to me. And uh, he got there. She didn't want him. He came back. He came back home. And... Uh, and you know, his, eventually his eyes were open to what he was doing. But see, that's what temptation is. It makes what is wrong, makes the sin very appealing. It, it doesn't show you the heartbreak. When you watch the commercials on TV for, let's, let's say, alcohol. I mean, it gives you, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty scenario. You're with your friends and uh, maybe there's a beautiful girl in the picture in the in the scene they don't show you the heartbreak that comes from that they don't show you the wrecked lives that come from a, a wreck from a car accident another organization it's up to them to say hey don't drink and drive 
Or it's up to, the, to them to say, hey, don't get started down this road. But the people that are selling the product aren't going to tell you that. They're not going to show you those pictures. They're going to show you uh, kids that have grown up be- because they grew up, they grew up without a, a dad. They're not going to show you how their life was totally messed up. That's the way that Satan tempts us. He's shrewd. He's never straightforward. And secondly, Satan always challenges the authority of God's word. Satan didn't begin, he didn't start with Eve by saying, look, Eve, listen to me. God is a liar. God is flat out lying to you and he's wrong. You need to get away from God. Instead, what he did is he planted a suggestion in the form of a question. The question was, is it really true? Is it really true that God said you couldn't eat from any tree of the garden? Now, that seems like a perfectly innocent question. It seems like a legitimate question. Did God really say that? That you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Well, first of all, that's not what God had said. But by asking that question, he was planting doubt. Planting doubt. And as uh, Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner uh, from Great Britain once put it so perceptively, he said that, Satan, that uh, Satan's question, rather, smuggles in the assumption that God's world is subject to our judgment. Smuggles in the assumption that God's word is subject to our judgment. Did God really say, like, okay, I can judge what God says. If we swallow that assumption, then, then we're already uh, on the enemy's turf here. You know, whatever doubts we have, Whatever doubts we might have about God, about the scriptures, whatever doubts we might have should lead us to searching for the right answer, to searching the scriptures for the right answers. But Satan wants to smuggle doubts into our mind that will disorient us, that will cause us to disbelieve God and to disbelieve his word. So he challenged the authority of God's word by planting this seed of doubt in her mind. Did God really say, and, and it worked because this seems to disorient her. Because she, the way she answered, like, well, no, God didn't say that. But God did say that we can't eat from this one tree. He did say from, we can eat from any tree of the garden, but we can't eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And, um, and he also said we shouldn't touch it. Well, he hadn't said that, but it, it seemed like what the, the doubt that he that he smuggled into her mind had its effect because now she's a little disoriented. Now she answered incorrectly. Now she added something to what God had said. And you know, adding something to God's word is as, as wrong as taking away from God's word. So she added something to God's word. She, she's disoriented. His question, his doubt had its effect. But also, another way that he challenged the authority of God's word is that Satan tried to distort what God had said, so as to make God look bad, make God look evil in the eyes of Eve. Because in verse 4, we read that Satan said to the woman, you will not certainly die. You will not certainly die. It doesn't matter if God said you're going to die. You're not going to die. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what's he saying here? Satan is saying, God isn't telling you the truth. He's lying to you. 
In fact, God is not only lying to you, but He's holding out on you. He's keeping something from you. He doesn't want you to have what He has. He, do, he doesn't want you to be like Him. He doesn't, want you to, he doesn't want the best for you. Now, isn't that the feeling that we all get at one time or another? The feeling that we're missing out on all the fun out there in the world. Why does God keep me from having fun? God doesn't want me to do anything. I can't have any fun. I can't go with my friends. I just want to go out drinking. I just want to have a good time with my friends. I want to enjoy friends with no responsibility. God is just a killjoy. He's like an ogre. He's, he's just mean. He just wants to keep me down. That's all the Bible is. It's a bunch of rules because God doesn't want me to be happy. I don't need this. I want to live my own life. That's exactly what God wants us to believe. God is a liar. God doesn't want the best for you. God knows that when you eat from this tree, you, you're going to be just like Him. He doesn't want you to be like Him. He doesn't want you to, to have the knowledge and, the, and, and, and all the capacity that He has. That's what He wants us. That's what Satan wants us to believe. And also notice that he flat out uh, called God a liar here when he said, You will not certainly die. He's telling Eve that God is lying about judgment. That God had said, If you eat from this tree, then... You will die. But the reality is the moment she ate from it and Adam ate from it, they began the process of dying. Death came into this world. They were separated from God. The, the spiritual separation is, is death. And so God was not lying, but Satan, the serpent, was telling Eve, he's lying. You're not going to die. And, and that's what he does today. You know, he wants us to believe that God is lying about judgment. That if we sin, there will, there will be no consequences. There's no judgment for sin. There are no consequences for doing what God commanded you not to do. So you break God's law. Nothing's going to happen. You're not going to die. God is lying. He's trying to scare you. It's not true. This is still part of Satan's strategy today. He doesn't want us to think about judgment. He doesn't want us to be concerned about consequences. What will happen if we follow through, if we yield to the temptation and do what we're tempted to do? In fact, at the fiercest moment of our temptation, the thought of, of judgment and consequences for our sin almost completely goes away. All we think about is how desirable that sin is and how pleasure, pleasurable it will be once we, we act on it. All Eve could think about was how appealing the fruit was. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and, des and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And at that moment, the downward spiral began. The moment she ate of the fruit, the appeal went away and the guilt arrived. And their lives were never the same again. Because Satan always promises pleasure, but he never mentions pain. Satan always promises pleasure, but he never mentions pain. But the pain does come. The consequences do come. And here's what Eve did. Here's what she did. She followed her feelings and she ignored the future. She followed her feelings in the moment, which was the pleasure, the appeal. 
but she ignored the pain of the future. She followed her impressions instead of God's instructions. God's instructions were, don't eat of this fruit from this tree. But because she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, it was appealing to her eyes and desirable for gaining wisdom, she followed her impressions rather than God's instructions. Let me tell you, don't choose feelings over your future. And don't follow impressions rather than instructions. Don't choose feelings over your future. And don't follow your impressions, what you feel, rather than instructions, what God has commanded you to do. Eighteen years ago today, exactly eighteen years ago today, July 16th, 1999, there was a crash of a small airplane into the waters of the Atlantic Ocean near the coast of Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Now, the three people on board that small airplane that crashed into the water died on impact. When they found the wreckage, they did a search, they found the wreckage, all three, one man, two women, all three were still strapped to their seats. Now, you might remember this story because the pilot was none other than John F. Kennedy Jr., who had just learned, he was still learning how to fly a plane. He had bought this plane about three months earlier. He was, he was a novice still. He, his wife, and her sister were all killed on that accident, plane crash. There were many contributing factors investigators found many contributing factors that might have caused this crash. And I remember reading about one idea that was thrown about when, when this happened. It was all over the news. One idea that was thrown about was something called vertigo. And vertigo is a condition where a pilot temporarily loses his understanding of where the ground is. He may be flying the plane upside down. If he's flying at nighttime, and this happened at night, he may be flying the plane upside down and because of the vertigo, think he's flying right side up. He may be flying the plane straight into the ground, which maybe was what happened. We don't know. He might have been flying the plane straight into the ground and thinking he's actually climbing. When a pilot gets vertigo, the only thing he can do to be safe is to look at his instrument panel and see what the instruments are telling him and do what the instruments are telling him to do. Pilots are trained, follow the instruments, don't trust your judgment. Follow the instruments, don't trust your judgments. Always believe the instructions that the instruments are telling you. And what we learn from Eve's encounter with Satan is always believe God's word. Don't trust your impressions, don't trust your judgment, don't trust your feelings. Believe the instructions Believe what God has told you. You know, this might be a depressing story for, for some of you. I mean, we might read the story and say, what hope do we have? Our flesh is against us. Satan is against us. He's capable, capable of deceiving anyone. And let me tell you, if you're facing life alone, you're right. What hope do we have? Yeah, it's pretty depressing. But it doesn't have to be that way. See, there was a way out for Eve. And the way out was simply to obey 
God's instructions. Obedience is so important. In fact, this is my last point, and this is, if you're following a uh, new version, this is not in your notes, but this is an important point. That is that obedience to God's commands positions us to overcome temptation. It's obedience to God's commands that positions us to overcome temptation. It's disobedience that places places us in a path where we're overcome, where we're fooled by the filter. We're fooled by what seems to be good and appealing. And it's so engaging. Oh, this person is so nice. This relationship must be right. And not along, it's wrong. It's a temptation. When we learn to obey God's commands, we'll learn to stay in a position where we can overcome temptation. Temptation is going to come to all of us, but we don't have to yield to temptation. So it doesn't have to be that way. That way of, de- of, of being depressed and thinking, there's no way out. I, I may as well just throw myself to this lifestyle, to this life. It doesn't have to be that way. Because when we trust God, when we turn to God, He gives us the way out. Paul wrote to, and we'll talk about this later in our series, Paul wrote to the Corinthians that God will never give us a temptation beyond what we can bear, but He will always give us a way out. Always a way out of the temptation. So when you think that you, you, can't, you, you can't say no to this temptation, there's a way out, and the way out is through God. The way out is through obedience. The way out is to calling on God. I think about what Eve could have done in this situation. What if at that moment that the serpent began to plant this doubt? What if she had been able to see what was going on and gone to God, immediately gone to God and say, here's what's happening. But she didn't. And, and certainly Satan is, is shrewd. And crafty. He knew how to smuggle that doubt without her realizing it. So we have to understand that if you think you're standing firm, Paul said. Take heed, be careful lest you fall. So we've got to stay close to God and call on him. Call on him for help. 